Well, let's see. Is this working? Yeah. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. I hope you all are doing all right this morning. Um, If you have your Bibles, well, turn on. Please turn on your Bibles um, and turn to Nehemiah. If you need a Bible, um, just raise your hand and we'll get you one. There's some in the back. But we're in Nehemiah two today, and. Some of you already know this, but um, I work only part-time for the church here. The other thing I ministry I'm a part of is this ministry called How Will They Hear? And it's a refugee ministry where we're, our goal is to connect people who want to serve with refugees with ministries in Europe. That's like our heartbeat. And Friday, I woke up early and I drove over to Heathrow because I had two fellow colleagues, two friends of mine that work with me in How Will They Hear? We're coming in and I picked them up from the airport because we went around Friday and Saturday meeting with a few different UK-based places to make some partnerships that we could all work together to help reach refugees. And while we were driving around in the car, you know, we had plenty of time because we, they weren't all next to each other. Um, so we had plenty of time to talk and discuss and catch up. And uh, I was talking to one of my friends, Matt, and he was telling me this story. He told me this story about how when, uh, after he graduated seminary, he, um, Matt is American, by the way, so after Matt graduated seminary in the States, he went to be a youth pastor at a church. And one thing he did while being there at that, at that church is that he would take teams and he would go on mission trips to Senegal. And one mission trip, uh, he was bringing a team that was like a bunch of basketball players because in Senegal, the second biggest sport behind football is basketball. Uh, so this, they were going to have this big event where it was going to be like this, the city they were in, it was going to be a citywide tournament that they were going to hold and they were going to have this American team that was going to play against the Senegal team and um, it had this potential to attract a lot of people to come. And so Matt actually went, before the rest of the group came, Matt went to Senegal first, and he went to inspect the basketball court there that they were going to use. And when he went to inspect it, he found that there is these, you know, they had the big backboards there, but there was, there's no rims, there's no hoops. Now, if you've never played basketball, um, you kind of need, you need a rim because the whole point is to shoot the basketball through the hoop to score a point. So if that's not there, you can't really play a basketball game. But he was like, not too worried about it. He, he got there first, so he called the team back in the States, and he was like, hey, before you come, go to a store, buy some, some rims, some basketball rims, and whatever we, we'll need to like mount them and, and bring that with you. And so the team came, and the day came where the tournament was gonna be held. And they go to put up these hoops real quick, and they find out that there's no like holes or anything to mount the hoops to. Like they were thinking they would bring them in and they would like screw in some, you know, bolts or whatever to like connect it. But apparently whatever rims that were on these backboards beforehand had been ripped off in such a way that like it left like the bolts on the hole. Like there was no, nothing there that they could mount to. And so Matt's starting to panic because this event has spread the news for the event has spread and now hundreds of people are actually showing up to this event and he's trying to figure out what am i going to do what am i going to do what am i going to do and while he's there the africans that he was working with they're like matt come here we're going to pray about this and matt's like well you guys go pray sure sure i'm but he meanwhile he's still searching for some kind of solution and eventually he realizes he can't find anything so he goes and he prays with them 
And while they're in a circle and they're praying and they're like asking God, what are we gonna do? Can you, like, how are we gonna fix this situation? This guy on a motorbike pulls up near their group and he's sitting there and he's like revving the engine. And it's so loud that Matt can't hear anything that any of the other people are praying. And it's just getting him really frustrated. He's like, what's going on? Doesn't this guy see that we're praying? Doesn't he, isn't he considerate? So he asks one of the Africans, can you go tell that guy just like move? And so the African's like, okay. And so he goes over and talks to him and he comes back and the guy's still there on the motorbike. And so Matt is asking his friend, like, what's going on? Why didn't he leave? And the guy's like, oh, well, I went in and I told him that we're praying. And the guy asked me, well, what are you praying for? And Matt's like, well, go tell him, you know, we're, we're praying for these basketball hoops or whatever, but just tell him to please leave because I can't, we can't focus with him being there. And so the guy, the African goes and talks to him and they comes back and the guy's still there on the motorbike and Matt's so he's just flustered by this point he's like why is he still here and the African friend says well I went and told him what we were praying for about these hoops and he told me he's a welder and he has his kit with him could that help sometimes we get so caught up with trying to fix a problem in front of us that first we forget to pray and then when finally we're like okay God fine I can't do this, I'm now praying, where we get so caught up that we miss the fact that God has brought the solution along. And a lot of times, these different things, right, these random events that happen that all seem to work together, we, the world will like to say they're coincidences, but what we know is that they're not, right? There aren't coincidences here. It's, it's God at work. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today. Um, so this month, as you might have guessed from me telling you where to turn your Bibles, we're going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah. Specifically, uh, we're going to be looking at Nehemiah 2 to 4. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with this book, but it actually presents a really important story in the overarching uh, story of the Bible. If you remember last weekend, we talked about the road to Emmaus, and we talked about how Jesus showed up, and he talked to these two disciples who were down, and Jesus corrected their view of the Bible and showed how the, all of the Old Testament was pointing towards him. Now, you, if you're familiar with Nehemiah, you might be wondering, okay, well, how does that apply to Nehemiah? Because isn't Nehemiah just about building a wall? Well, I hope by the end of our study uh, this month, you can see how this book points forward to Christ and why we need him and why we need the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can have our hearts renewed to follow God. But before we can talk about our passage today, we kind of need to know the background, the context. As you guys know, I love to give you the context of these passages. And before we can talk about Nehemiah, actually, we actually have to talk about the book of Ezra. Because originally, Ezra and Nehemiah were actually one story. It wasn't until I think, I forgot, it's like in the, like around a thousand, somewhere around there, I was trying to look up the history that they divided it. But Nehemiah and Ezra were always one story. And so if you just start reading Nehemiah without reading Ezra first, it's like watching the sequel of a movie without watching the first movie in the series. Like you might understand what's going on. You might be able, you, you'll be able to understand the story of that specific movie, but you might be missing how does that play in the whole overarching part? Like why are these people here? What's, what are they doing? Who are these characters? So let's talk quickly about what is the book of Ezra? Well, despite what the name implies, uh, Ezra only shows up 
like in chapter 7 of the book of Ezra. Um, it's not actually all about him. Really, what we, need to know, what we need to understand is that both Ezra and Nehemiah, everything that happens in that book all comes from the very first verse. And like most, most biblical books, if you want to understand what the book is about, just look at how it starts, and that will give you a big clue about what's going on for the rest of it. So Ezra 1.1 says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom. So what's going on here, right? What's all of this stuff? Well, just reading that verse tells us one thing, that whoever wrote Ezra and Nehemiah expects the reader to already kind of know their Old Testament. Because there's a lot of data in there that should, you should already know, or at least they, they're assuming that you know. Like, they're assuming that you are remembering the fact that Israel went into exile. Specifically, you had Assyria came and took out the northern kingdom, and then Babylon came and took out the southern kingdom. Um, and then after about 70 years go by, there's a new, uh, a new person on the block. There's a new big empire, and that's Persia. They've taken over everything by now. And we see that the king of Persia is stirred up by the Lord to make a proclamation where he's going to tell everybody who's an Israelite, who's Jewish, hey, if you want to, you can now go back and build, rebuild the temple of Yahweh. And it says this was all to fulfill what Jeremiah said. So then we have to ask, well, what did Jeremiah say? Now, I actually have been talking a lot about Jeremiah these last several weeks, and that wasn't intentional. I haven't been thinking, like, how can I fit Jeremiah into each sermon? But what I want, hopefully, what you've picked up on the fact of, if I keep bringing up Jeremiah, it might be a good book for you to know. So if you've never read Jeremiah, or, you've ne or it's been a while since you read through Jeremiah, you should take some time and go read through it. Because if it keeps popping up in sermons, it's kind of important to understanding your faith. But the question is, is what specifically did Jeremiah talk about that was going to be fulfilled? Well, to give you a quick summary, because I'm not going to now go teach through Jeremiah 29 through 31, though again, go read Jeremiah. But uh, basically, Jeremiah has this prophecy that he says, you know, everybody's going to go into exile, but you're all, after 70 years, God's going to bring you back. And then when that happens, there's going to be this new covenant that we had talked about for the last several weeks. This new covenant's going to happen. And that, like, there's going to be a spiritual revival among the people. And it's like this picture that God's going to finally set up his kingdom and, like, the Messiah's going to come and it's going to be great. So when Ezra starts off by saying that this Persian king is being stirred up the, by the Lord to fulfill what Jeremiah says, that's what we should be anticipating. We should be anticipating the, the return of the people. We should be anticipating the revival of Israel. We should be anticipating the Messiah. And in Ezra and Nehemiah, there's three major like elements that they rebuild or restore to, to try to help prepare the people for this revival. So the first part of Ezra is all about the temple being rebuilt. That's like the first six chapters. Is all about the temple being rebuilt. And then after the temple's rebuilt, Ezra shows up and he reestablishes the Torah, the law among the people. And then after Ezra does that, you have Nehemiah shows up and he builds the walls around Jerusalem. There's those three things, the temple, the law, the walls. But here's the thing. As you're reading through Ezra, 
as you get to Nehemiah, you start to see cracks starting to form and this whole like anticipation of this new kingdom. Because first, we get this list of all the people who return, but then at the end you realize only 42,000 people returned, which is a lot of people. But think about how many people were living in Israel before they went into exile. Like you start to realize, wait, God said he was gonna bring back all the Israelites, and yet here's only 42,000 that have shown up. And then when they're rebuilding the temple, the people who had been living in the land the whole time, they actually come and they're like, hey, we've been following Yahweh. We wanna help you rebuild the temple. And they're like, no, we don't have any, wanna have anything to do with you. And that causes tension among them and the people of the land. And then after the law gets established, because they're so like caught up in like trying to fix the things to make sure that they're aligned up with the law, they take extreme measures like they divorce all of their foreign wives and they send away any foreign wife and any kid that they had by them and separate them from themselves. Like they wanna do the right thing, but it seems like they're missing it just by a little bit. And so keep that in mind as we come to Nehemiah. And now before you might be trying to conclude that like Nehemiah must be a bad person or Ezra's a bad person, I wanna, the Bible points out that these are really good people. Like, Nehemiah is someone who really cares about God and really cares about his people. And we can see that passion in chapter one of Nehemiah. Because what happens in the first chapter of Nehemiah is that he gets this report. His brother shows up and his brother tells him what is happening back in Jerusalem among the people who have already returned, and it's not going well. He tells him about how the people have been shamed, the walls are torn down, the gates have been burned with fire, and Nehemiah is just gutted to hear this report. It says he mourns for days about hearing about this. It just hits him so hard. And it says that then he prays to God. And first thing he does is he asks God to forgive him and forgive his people. He, he, it's this, this picture of he is standing in the gap for the people of Israel, and he's saying, I know that me and my ancestors and we have messed up, but Lord, would you please forgive us? And then at the end of his prayer, he puts in this little note of he asked God for favor in the sight of the king because he was the king's cupbearer. And so we need to understand all of that before we get to chapter two. We need to recognize that an important aspect of Nehemiah's character is that he is a man of prayer. He knew that it was not going to be through some amazing thing that he did that the walls would be built up, but it would be through God. And so he also knew who he needed in worldly wise that could help him accomplish that, and that was the king. So when we come to chapter two, have this in the back of your minds. Let's read verses one and two of chapter two of Nehemiah. It says this, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. So again, Nehemiah was the cupbearer. His job was to bring the wine to the king. And it just so happened at this time that because everything that was on his mind that the king kind of picked up on his sadness. The king saw through him. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm one of those people that can actually hide my emotions pretty well. Um, like I can, I'm pretty good at stuffing them down or putting on a happy face when I need to. And I mean, you could, 
could argue, and I would actually agree that that's probably not always the best response, right? It's not always good to just hide your emotion. You need to be able to share it with other people and share with other people what is going on. And especially we should be able to share that with each other, right? Because we are the body, right? We are a family. We should be able, feel free to do that with each other. And to be honest with you guys, this life has been crazy for me and Rachel. Like everything feels really unstable for us right now. But here's the thing. No matter how good you are at hiding your emotions, eventually at some point you're not going to be able to hold it back anymore. No matter how good you are at keeping a stone face, eventually whatever, if, something, if there's enough pressure weighing on you, it's going to leak out. Now, of course, Nehemiah had a slightly different situation than us trying to share with each other here in a church because he was the cupbearer to a king. And back then, if he displeased the king in any way, it, it would not be... Uh, like, it, it'd be very reasonable for the king just to get rid of him, which could include killing him, and just getting a new cupbearer. So it's, it makes sense why he said he was very scared. So you would think if, he, if that's the truth, if, if he displeases the king at all, he's going to probably try to come up with excuses like, oh, no, I'm not really sad, or try to hide it. But notice, he's honest with the king. Verse 3 says, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Right? Have you ever had some news that just, it just impacted you? It just ate at you? Like, it just, you couldn't get it out of your head? Like, when, uh, right before, this is a few years ago, but right before we had our first miscarriage, um, there was a local, the local student union for Cardiff had asked me if I would talk at one of their meetings. And being the time of COVID, it really meant that I was going to record myself and then send them the video and they were going to like show it and have people tune in or whatever. And so I, I, I totally agreed to do all that. And then everything happened with our first baby. And, but I still needed to film myself. I still needed to, I promised to do this. I wasn't going to turn it down. I was... I was going to be faithful to what I had, I had promised. So I taught, and the passage was on Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 is, it's usually used as a very comforting passage, right? It's the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? He leads me beside still waters. He puts me in these green pastures, right? There's these great images. But it also is a realistic psalm. Because it says that at some time, we're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. Like, there are going to be times where we're not by those still waters or in those green pastures. And as I taught this, in the back of my head, all I could think about was the fact that we had just lost a child, and it was our first child. And so I've, I've watched the video of myself teaching, and you could tell just by looking at my face that there's definitely more going on than what I'm saying, Right? And here's the thing, when it comes to us, when it comes to being the church, we should be more attentive than that king was to Nehemiah, right? We should be noticing each other. If somebody looks sad, if something, somebody looks off, we should be quick to be like, what's going on? And trying to find out what is going on in their hearts. And just like Nehemiah, if somebody does, the, does that, if somebody sees you and somebody says, I noticed there's something going on there, we need to be honest with them. We need to feel that we should be a place where that's true, where we're safe, where if somebody sees that, we can just be like, yep, this is what's going on. Because here's the thing. 
If we don't tell each other what's going on in our lives, then how are we ever going to know how to care for each other? How are we going to ever know how, what somebody needs? And that's exactly what we see in verse 4, right? Because in verse 4, it says, Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Right? Isn't that just amazing? The king could have responded in any way, right? He could have been like, well, just get away from me. I don't want somebody sat around me for right now. Come back when you're happy. He could have done, he could have just been like, well, you've displeased me, so off with your head. He's like, no, no. How can I help? What can I do? What, in other words, what a coincidence. But here's something that I want to point out real quick. If you, like I just said, if you're not honest with people about what's going on in your life, then they're never going to know how to help you. Right? A very, I guess, practical example of this is that when Rachel and I became missionaries, right, we had to raise support. That's part of being a missionary. You have to raise the funds to basically pay for wherever you're living. Like we had to raise funds before we came here. And in fact, we still, that's still part of being a missionary. We still have to talk to our supporters. And if we have needs, we need to tell our supporters what we need and try to raise funds if we ever drop down. Um, and I'm going to tell you this. Raising support is probably the thing that I dislike the most about being a missionary. Like, I have, I've gone through courses. I've read books. I've had people tell me why it's biblical. I understand all the arguments of why it's, you know, it's okay for you as a missionary to ask for money. I still don't like doing it. It is still my least favorite part of doing it. But the thing is, is that as we've learned all these different strategies and techniques, no matter how aggressive they were, they all had the same thing, and that's is you have to tell people that you have a need, right? That's the basic thing for everything, is you have to tell people you have a need. Like, so when we send out, we send out a prayer letter every month to people who want to pray for us, and in those prayer letters, those emails, we always have a small little section to talk about where our finances are and if there's any needs. Like this year, we've made it a goal to try to raise a thousand more US a month. Um, and we put what, where the progress is in our little emails. And, you know, because life's been busy, we haven't had the time to like try to contact people or set up one on one meetings like you would normally do. But just by letting people know that there's this need, we've seen people respond, right? But those people never would have responded if we never told anybody that, hey, we had. This is what we're trying to do. All this to say, it's the same thing, even though that's a very practical need, it's the same thing when we're hurting emotionally, when we're hurting spiritually. If we don't let people know that that's going on in our lives, there's nothing, there's no way that they can come and help us and support us. And I hope that you could find somebody. I hope that there are people in your lives when you are facing that thing that there are people that you can turn to. I would especially hope that those people you can turn to are here in this church because it's like, because again, we are the body. We are a family. We are here for each other. So back to Nehemiah. Real quick, notice that Nehemiah once again shows how he's a man of prayer right? The king says, what can I do to help? And it says, Nehemiah, before he responded, immediately prayed to God. And I once heard a sermon on this, on this specific passage, and the pastor who was giving the sermon, he said that Nehemiah was giving what he called a Peter prayer. 
Because what he defined as a Peter prayer was, um, if you remember the story, there's all the disciples are out in the boat, and it's stormy and dark outside, and Jesus comes strolling up to them on the water, and the, the disciples are freaking out, like, oh, it's a ghost, and Jesus is like, calm down, guys, it's just me, don't worry. And Peter's like, you know what? If it is you, Jesus, ask me to come out, and I will, I will come out of the boat and walk on water to you. And Jesus is like, sure, come on out of the boat. And so Peter gets out of the boat, and he starts walking towards Jesus on the water. But as Peter's walking, right, he starts to notice that all oh, those clouds, they're pretty scary looking. And all those waves, they're, those are pretty big waves. And he takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he starts to sink. And, right, and then he gives what the pastor called the Peter prayer, which is him yelling, help me, right? That was the Peter prayer. It's not, a, it's, it's not like a very eloquent prayer. It's not a well-structured prayer. It's not one of those prayers where you're, you'd, that lasts very long, but it's an honest prayer. Very honest, right? God, I need you to help me right now. And so we look at Nehemiah, and we see that a, same, a great example of that, right? The king asked him, what do you need? And before he responds, he says, it says that he sent up a little Peter prayer. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul talks about, I think this is an example of what Paul's talking about there when he says pray without ceasing, right? Now, obviously, we can't pray 24-7. We do sleep. I mean, Paul obviously didn't have to, didn't pray 24-7 because we read about all the different things he did, but it's having that spirit, right? That spirit when you need, that you're always in communication with God. You're always aware of his presence. You're always ready to just send up one of those quick Peter prayers because you need help in that moment. How quickly do we get something like this, right? We, we have a need, the, an opportunity shows up, a person responds to our need and says, well, what do you need? Like the, like the answer is there, and we just take it without first praying to God. I know I'm guilty of this, but Nehemiah understands that even with the door being opened in front of him, he should still not walk through it without having God on his side. And so after throwing up his little Peter prayer, Nehemiah answers the king in verses five through eight. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the, for of the fortress of the temple and for the walls of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Now, real quick, there's a small detail that gets kind of thrown in there. Um, in the ESV, it's in parentheses that uh, it's one of those, another one of those coincidences, and that's the fact that the queen is there sitting beside him. And the reason why that little detail is important is because it tells us that Nehemiah is not probably giving the king wine in, in his throne room, but he's probably in a private chamber, right? It just so happened that the day that all this happens, Nehemiah gets to have a private audience with the king and queen, and probably nobody else is there around. They probably have in this private section of the, of the palace. 
Nehemiah asks for the thing that he wanted, and he is completely honest, right? He says, I want to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And notice that the king doesn't just give a yes right away, right? He starts to ask about the logistics, like how long are you going to be gone? And how is Nehemiah going to pull this off? And Nehemiah is prepared for that. Because ever since Nehemiah got that report of what happened to Jerusalem, he's been thinking about this, right? Uh, we don't know if he's written down plans, but you could probably you can tell in his head he's already calculated out. Well, if I went here, it'd take me this much time, and I need this much blah blah, and I need this much wood, right? He is ready to answer the king's question. Nehemiah already knew what he wanted. He had prayed to God for it and had already planned it all out, which is, I think, something we can all relate to, right? I'm sure that there have been times where you have dreamt about something, you've even figured out exactly how you would do the thing that you wanted, and if someone just could provide you the necessary resources, you could answer any questions that they ha would have super fast, right? Like, there's a game that, I don't know if you guys ever played this in your head, but that game of like, if I was suddenly won the jackpot, or if, you know, if I won the lottery, or if I, you know, if somebody just gave me a million dollars, what would I do, right? I've I've done that enough in my head where if somebody, if any of you ever want to give me a million dollars, don't worry, I'm prepared on how I would spend it. Right? But I want, what I want you to notice is the last line of verse 8. Because who does Nehemiah, after, after this whole interaction, he's talked, the king has asked him questions, he's responded to the king, the king's approved the request, all of the things. Who does Nehemiah give credit to? It's Yahweh. He said it's because of the hand of God that's upon him. Before this meeting happened, Nehemiah had already been praying that he wanted to see Jerusalem rebuilt. Not only that, but he prayed for an opportunity to present that request to the man that he needed to approve it for him to do it. And look at what happens. It just so happens that Nehemiah gets to be the, with the king and queen in a private chamber. It just so happens that the king notices, notices one of his servants are sad. It just so happens that Nehemiah answers honestly and the king's feeling generous that day, right? There's all of these things that, all these coincidences that go hand in hand. It shows that God was there the whole time. When we pray, we should expect that God, expect God to move. I mean, it is a challenge though. Because there's a lot of times where we pray and it seems like nothing happens. But Jesus tells us something. Jesus tells us that, there's, that as humans, as depraved as we are, we understand that if a child asks us for a present we're not, uh, or asks us for bread, we're not going to give them a scorpion. Right? That's his analogy, right? If we understand that if somebody wants something, we're not going to give them something that's going to kill them. right? And he says, if you people are know enough to give okay gifts to each other, how much better is God at giving us gifts, right? How much better is the Father, the one who has created the heavens and the earth, at giving us what we need and what we want? Paul, in Philippians, he tells us that we are to present our requests to God, that we are to give, if we're feeling anxious about anything, present it to God through prayer. And sometimes we don't know, I'm gonna be honest, sometimes I don't know what I should be praying for. I know that there's something troubling me, I know that there's some kind of need, and I don't know what I should be praying to God for, but I just know that there's something off. 
Well, luckily, the Bible tells us that there's somebody that helps us in those times. Because Romans 8, Romans 8, 26 to 27 says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Yahweh knows what we really want, and even in the times where we don't know what we need and feel so lost that we can't think of what we want, the Spirit is interceding on our behalf. And when things start to move, when doors start to open, when the resources start to be provided, when the guy starts to show up on the motorbike and is revving his thing so loud that you can't pray or pay attention anymore, we should realize that none of these things are coincidences because they're all God. So what? Nehemiah gives us a great example of what to do when we feel burdened with something, right? Here's the very, you want the practical, like, five-step plan, here you go, right? Let's look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah, first, he prays to God and, we, and, and recognizes who he is and what he has done, right? So first, we pray to God, we recognize who he is, we, we bring our request to him. Then, if we, we, while we're providing, bringing the request to him, we either t- we spell it out, or if we don't know what it is we need, we trust that the Holy Spirit is working in us to communicate for us, to intercede for us. Third, we pray for the opportunities. We pray for, we recognize what we need, wh- what is it that's gonna need to have that accomplished, and we pray for whatever that is. Give us the opportunity to blah, 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 like Nehemiah prayed for an opportunity to share with the king. And finally, when the answer comes, Before we take it, we pray again. We make sure that we are honest with each other, that we let people know, especially if they're asking, right? Maybe you're like, this is just, this would be bad if people knew or something, you're trying to hide it. But if somebody asks you, don't lie about what's going on, especially if it's a fellow brother or sister in Christ, because we should be a family. We need to be honest with what we need so that they can be honest if they can provide what we need for us. And when things start to line up, when out of the blue, things just seem to happen that bring together the things that we need, again, we give praise back to the one who truly made it all happen. So two questions to leave you guys with. First, what burden are you carrying that you need to share with God and someone? And second, what coincidences have you seen in your life And how are you praising God for them? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for just the fact that, um, I mean, I'm I'm up here giving this a long prayer or anything, God, but you don't even need that. You just needed a short prayer. You already know what we need. You already know what we want. And you already know the best way to provide it. God, thank you so much that that these coincidences, these random things that seem to happen, we know that you it just shows that you're in control of all things. And God, sometimes those coincidences seem like they're bad things. Sometimes bad things just seem to happen out of nowhere. And even in those situations, God, I pray that we would be like Nehemiah and just turn to you. Just pray and trust in you. 
that we'd recognize who you are. We need to recognize what you've done. God, thank you so much that we are, that we aren't alone on our journey, but that you have specifically designed your church to be a body that works together, that walks together, that journeys together. God, I pray that we would be open and honest with each other. I pray that this would be a safe place. Thank you so much for just allowing us to have these relationships. In your name, amen.